Praise the Lord. Well, welcome to the Biblical Finances Seminar. And let's start out with our text scripture, Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Hallelujah. If we were going to do a comprehensive study on the subject of total prosperity in the Bible, we would have to cover spirit, soul, and body. We would have to talk first about spiritual prosperity, which is the new birth, because without that, you can forget the rest of it. We'd have to talk about renewing the mind, and we would have to talk about physical prosperity, which is twofold, healing and finances. The curse that came on the earth as a result of Adam's disobedience and spiritual union with Satan resulted in spiritual death, sickness, and poverty. Now let's look at uh, Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And all the things he was talking about in the context here up in verse 31, and actually starting on up of verse 25, he's talking about the things that pertain to this life. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Those are the things he was talking about. So... Uh, Today we are going to focus on the financial component of total prosperity. This is not a secular self-improvement, do-it-yourself course, independent of God. We're focusing on financial increase, God's way, on God's word, because there is no increase in any area of life outside of God's word. God's word is the source of all increase and prosperity in every area of life. And that's what we're interested in. We're interested in total prosperity. God's interested in our total prosperity. That's why the Bible has a lot to say about finances and money. Parents don't teach children about money at home. Schools don't teach about money. And even though the Bible has a lot to say about it, the church doesn't teach about money either. Is it any wonder there is such a gross amount of ignorance about the subject of money, particularly in the body of Christ? Religion considers money as a worldly, carnal subject of no importance. But the Bible considers it a spiritual subject and one of the acceptable expressions of worship. God is certainly interested in your finances, or he would not have included more than 2,500 scriptures about money in his word. At least half the parables of Jesus address the subject of money. The Bible provides a scriptural balance on the subject. It addresses the consequences of covetousness, and obtaining wealth by the world system. But from Genesis to Revelation, God outlines his plan and his purposes for increasing his people through covenant blessings 
as a result of obedience to his word. Now, let's talk about what is God's will concerning money. You know, when we, when we do the healing school, the first thing I like to talk about is what is the will of God concerning healing. Because if you don't get that established, it's going to be very difficult for people to receive. Because faith stops at the question mark. So wherever you have a question mark in your mind about whether it's God's will to heal you or whether it's God's will to bless you financially, wherever your faith comes to that question mark, it's going to come to a grinding halt. So we've got to remove that question mark with what the Word of God says. So let's look at what is God's will concerning money. Is financial increase or lack and insufficiency the will of God? In order to answer this question, we have to go to the Bible, and this question must be settled once and for all in your mind. People want to prosper everywhere except in church. They don't believe in failure and lack anywhere else until they walk into church on Sunday morning. They work hard six days a week in order for their kids to go to the best schools. They encourage them to make good grades. They want them to have the best jobs. Why? Why do people do all that? They want them to be prosperous and blessed. That's why they go through all that. But they don't believe God will prosper and bless them if they obey Him and activate His principles of increase in His Word. If you walk in a church house and you tell them God wants to prosper you and bless you for His purposes, what do they say? Oh no, no we don't believe that here. We don't believe that prosperity message here. We don't expect God to bless us. We don't want to give God the credit for, for blessing us and increasing us. We're humble. We just operate our church on jumble sales. They have one standard of living in church, and they have another standard of living outside the church. How is it that as soon as Christians are standing behind stained glass windows or some other building where they meet for church, their subconscious mind takes over. Christians who do not believe it is God's will to prosper them financially are controlled either by a religious spirit, a poverty spirit, or both. Some are quick to say that lack and poverty are the will of God and they even believe it provides some kind of benefit. But contrary to popular belief, doing without material things you need and things that would enable you to serve God more effectively and bless your neighbor is not the cure for greed. Doing without money and doing without material things isn't going to prevent greed or covetousness in your life. There are people that can barely make ends meet, people that haven't got 20 pounds a week that are greedy and covetous. Oh, sorry. I've got to turn that down. I'm freezing mm. sitting there. Sorry to be interrupting. I wouldn't do that to your purpose. It's okay. <laughs> sorry. Do you want to turn? Hallelujah. Is it? There's a lot. Of... Oh, I'm sorry. 
is the bringing of one's tithe and offerings to the Lord. This is why God's plan for increase has a built-in safeguard to keep us from becoming greedy and covetous. Proverbs 10.22 says, When God brings wealth in, in, into your life, when God is the one that brings increase and in wealth into your life, it does not cause you more problems. Proverbs 10.22, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Wealth plus abundance does not equal greed. People can be greedy and selfish and barely have enough money to make ends meet. Now let's talk uh, first of all about poverty, lack, and insufficiency and what the Bible has to say about it. If insufficiency, lack, and poverty are God's will, why doesn't he live that way himself? Jesus prayed, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If abundance is the norm in heaven, then it must be God's will for the earth, or Jesus got it wrong. Some might say, Yeah, but Jesus knew how to handle money. So should we especially if God's our teacher. Jesus did not have access to anything that we do not have. Is abundance acceptable for our loving Heavenly Father, but not for His children? If you lived in the nicest neighborhood in town, would you want your children to live in the worst neighborhood and not be able to pay their bills or provide for their family or be able to help their neighbor if necessary? If insufficiency, lack, and poverty are God's will, why was there no evidence of it in the Garden of Eden? Why did poverty only show up in the earth after Adam became spiritually united with Satan through disobedience? Satan and religion have established poverty as a deeply held conviction in the church. Many church leaders will tell you that Christianity and poverty are tied together with a short rope. This teaching is in no way supported by scriptures in the Old or New Testament. When you know what the Word of God says, Satan's strategy is very obvious. Satan's prescription for stopping the advancement of the kingdom of God on the earth is to put the body of Christ on a continuous IV drip of religion and poverty teaching to dry up the finances. Keep them ignorant and keep them broke. That's a pretty smart strategy, isn't it? Most Christians have been anesthetized and infused with something other than the Word of God, and the result is that the church has been the tail and not the head, and why we have been without the resources to carry out our call to go into all the world and preach the gospel. When Jesus said, go into all the world, he was not referring just to the geographical world alone. He meant for us to go into every man's world. We're to go into the sports world. We're to go into the entertainment world. We're to go 
uh, into the business and commercial world. Have you noticed that this country and throughout Europe, the sporting world, the entertainment world, and the business and commercial world are totally void of any kind of Christian influence and witness? When the money comes into our hands, the world is going to stand up and take notice of what we have to say. And that's why the devil doesn't want people here today listening to this. He sure doesn't want Christians listening to this. Because this is the last stronghold he has in the body of Christ. And when he loses this grip, he has lost it all. He has lost it all because this, this is the last days. And God is preparing for the greatest revival in the history of human civilization. And the only thing stopping it is finances in the body of Christ. The devil doesn't care if there's a church on every street corner. As long as the Christians don't find out what belongs to them and they don't get their hands on the money. Just stay in church on Sunday, act religious, and the Christians are no threat to him and his operation. So you can see his strategy for the last 1,500 years. Get poverty teaching introduced into the church and make it part of the church doctrine. We're going to examine what the Bible says about finances. Now let's turn to Proverbs. Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10:15. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. This tells us poverty is destructive. Poverty is more destructive than wealth. Uh, let's turn to Deuteronomy 28. We're familiar with that, but Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass that thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. All these what? Curses. And he said that's a result of not doing what God said and not hearkening to his word and not following his word and his principles and his statutes. That's the result of not doing it. It doesn't say he was sending them. It says they would come on them. The curse was already here. And he said the way to activate that curse is not to keep my word and not to keep my statutes and not to hearken to my word. So he goes on to describe what he calls a curse. Verse 16, Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket in thy store. That's your bank account and your savings account. 
Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. That pretty well covers every, everywhere, doesn't it? When you come in, when you go out, you know, uh, and all these things, the fruit of the basket, the sheep and the flocks, that's the way they measured assets back then. They were measured in flocks and herds and gold and silver and clothes. That's the way people's assets were measured. It wasn't stock market and all that back then. If Jesus was here today, he wouldn't be talking about flocks and herds probably. He'd be talking about bonds and the stock market and all that. But these people lived Yeah, he, these people lived in an agricultural society. So this is what he calls a curse. Verse 23, Thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. Verse 38, Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather but little, for the locusts shall consume it. Verse 42, All thy trees and fruit of thy land shall the locusts consume. The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. This is poverty any way you look at it. In every sphere of life. And God calls it a curse. Verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. They refused to serve God for the abundance. Therefore, they would serve their enemies in poverty. And that's true today. People are either going to get on the abundance message or they are going to serve their enemies in poverty. There's, there's, not, any, there's not any other alternative. It's either going to, you're either be, going to be blessed by God, you're going to believe what His Word says, you're going to do it, you're going to embrace it, or you're going to serve your enemies in poverty. Well, that's not us. Amen? They've been tossed into, into going into debt and borrowing money. Mm. And then they've got their enemies, other people that are worrying them for money all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that. Policy. We're going to talk about that in a minute. God's way of financial increase rewards those who are obedient and productive, not those who are disobedient and unproductive. Hallelujah. Let's examine some statistics that reveal the destructive nature of lack and debt. Now, I've got several articles here I'm going to share with you. This is from the Evening Standard, December 2011. Till debt do us part, divorce soars in recession. This is, this is December of 2011. The number of couples divorcing has soared for the first time in almost a decade as a result of what? 
the economic crisis. Shock figures today revealed a 5% leap in marital breakdowns to almost 114,000 last year. They show that four out of 10 couples will never reach their silver anniversary. One in 12 marriages from 2005 is already over. Divorce specialists said the financial crisis and economic downturn over the past three years has put huge strains on relationships. This guy from a law firm in London says people are sometimes more willing to put up with marriage problems if there is enough money. But if a marriage is rocky and the husband isn't earning as much as before, that can be the final straw. Government statisticians also link the number of divorces to the 2008 banking crisis and the sharp recession that followed it. Uh, they said the uh, report by the Center for Economic, uh, no, they, they said the divorce rate pattern was following the one seen in the uh, early 1990s recession. Uh, so that gives us an idea of the effects of poverty and lack on society and the church. Here's another one. I think this was from the Metro. I don't have a date on it. Mothers are on the brink. Cost of living is forcing one in five to skip meals to feed their children. More than 70% of families are financially on the edge, according to research published today. Struggling families are on the brink of poverty and could face ruin if hit by further price increases or falls in their income, the study by parenting website NetMums found. Increasing energy bills and the high cost of living is causing some parents to go without food to provide for their children. I know even uh, in America several years ago, this is even you know at the beginning of when things began to get bad, they said there were families who were having to make a decision, do they put gas in their tank, or do they buy food? A third of those surveyed have also borrowed money from friends and family to keep afloat. About 5% of families regularly take out payday loans, which lend short-term cash at high rates of interest, and one in 100 has turned to loan sharks to stay afloat. The poll also found that almost half of families have sold or pawned goods to make money uh, to live. The pressure of increasing debt burden is causing about 16% of those surveyed to seek treatment for stress-related illness. And here on the next page is a lady in Greece about to jump out an office window. Uh, she worked at the Workers' Housing Organization in Athens she and her husband may lose their jobs after Greece's 108 billion pound bailout. And here's another one that doesn't just pertain to individuals. Banks foreclosing on churches and record numbers. This is from March of this year, just a month ago. 
Banks are foreclosing on America's churches in record numbers as lenders increasingly lose patience with religious facilities that have defaulted on their mortgages, according to new data. Since 2010, 270 churches have been sold after defaulting on their loans, with 90% of those sales coming after a lender-triggered foreclosure. Uh, church defaults differ from residential foreclosures because most of these loans in a residential, they're, they're not a 30-year mortgage. On a commercial, a church is considered commercial property, and that loan matures at five years, and the whole balance is due after five years. It's what they call a balloon loan. And that's what's happening. They reached the five years, and they haven't got the money. Uh, so that's another problem. Uh, after the financial crash, many churchgoers lost their jobs, donations plunged, and often so did the value of the church building. It says some pastors have not notified their congregants. They are fearful that if they do, they will lose congregants prematurely. So this is not just affecting uh, individuals, and it's not just affecting the world, it's affecting Christians. Now, what I'm about to share with you now, I'm just going to give you a few more little items to consider. This is from 2006, so these, these figures are probably even worse now, after five years, with nothing not really getting any better. 71% of people in America say that debt is making their home life unhappy. 70% live from paycheck to paycheck, with nothing set aside for an emergency. Uh, approximately five out of seven people, uh, say in a neighborhood of 100 people, approximately five to seven of them are at least three months behind on their house payment. Since 1980, foreclosures have increased more than 200%, and it's probably higher than that now. As we have just seen in these recent newspaper articles, this is causing tremendous pressure on families and contributing to an increase in divorce. Uh, the first church I went to in London, I heard the pastor make the statement once, and you could tell he had had experience in counseling people, and he said, when there's not enough money, when, when there's not enough money, money, love flies out the window. In 1980, there were 500,000 bankruptcies. In 2004, there were 1.5 million. Nevertheless, in spite of all this, what I just shared from you, from recent newspaper articles, and statistics, church leaders are quick to warn Christians about the consequences of having too much money, but fail to warn them about the consequences of not having enough. Forty percent of all bankruptcies involve Christians. People cannot pay their rent. Young couples cannot afford childcare. 
Yet pastors look people in the face and tell them God is only interested in spiritual things and material things are not important, leaving them powerless against Satan's forces of debt, lack, and insufficiency. They don't know that God has provided covenant blessings in his word and that having an abundance of resources not only avoids the destructive effects of poverty and debt, but puts them in a position to be a blessing to others. And I heard, you may have heard her uh, back a few weeks ago, Gloria Copeland said, anybody who doesn't know broke is bad has never been broke. Anybody that doesn't know broke is bad has never been broke. Because you don't have to define a blessing and a curse to those people. <laughs> those of us that have been broke at one time or another, we know it's bad. I mean, you don't even, you know, uh, you don't exactly have to be a genius upstairs to figure that out, you know. And, it, and you can see why it's a poverty spirit or religious spirit is blinding Christians to that. I mean, uh, anybody with open spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear wouldn't be challenging that and they wouldn't be questioning it. Now let's look at Proverbs uh, 13. Let's look at a second uh, result of poverty. Uh, Proverbs 13. Proverbs is a very wise book written by one of the wealthiest men, as a matter of fact, in the Bible. Maybe that's why it's so wise. Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Some people never experience financial increase and the abundant life God has provided because they are not open to instruction from God-ordained leaders, the Word of God, or the Holy Spirit. There's no way anybody's going to prosper. God, can, God is not going to prosper anybody. He's not going to be able to prosper people who go around bad-mouthing the prosperity preachers and bad-mouthing the Christians that are being blessed by God and uh, those that are believing what God's Word says about financial abundance and increase. They're, those people, what are they doing? They are refusing instruction. They're refusing to be instructed. And there's another place over in Proverbs. It's just come to me. I'm not sure where it is. Um, but it talks about uh, those that refuse. Oh, he says, I will laugh at your calamity. God said, when calamity comes on you, I'll laugh at your calamity because you refused wisdom. And the Word of God is the wisdom of God. And, and the promises of God and God's plan and purposes for prospering His people is the wisdom of God. And if people refuse that, then the alternative is poverty. Like we saw, they're going to serve their enemies in poverty. And poverty is an enemy, I'm telling you. 
Proverbs 1 verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A wise man doesn't refuse instruction. When God sends a messenger with a message. No one can mock God and his messengers and then expect to have financial blessings in their life. If they choose to listen to the people with the least revelation on this subject, they're going to be carbon copies of the people they're listening to and will never go beyond the level of their advisors. Number three, Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. Verse 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Poverty is a penalty for loving money. God desires that we prosper financially, but He desires that we prosper for the right reasons. When all some people want is money and they are consumed with getting it, they lose their focus on doing things God's way. God wants our increase to come as a result of keeping His Word so we can be a blessing and He gets the glory. Let's look at Proverbs 28, 19. Just back up. Let's look at a, a fourth um, problem with poverty here. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. So this tells us poverty comes from fellowship with vain persons. A vain person is someone who's unmotivated, idle, or chasing fantasies. And people who say they have no interest in money are people with no dreams, no goals, no desire to help anyone else. That's just selfishness. And I, and you know, I've heard the same before, and I think it's very true. People who say money is not important will lie about other things too. People who say money is not important will lie about other things too. If you associate with people like that, and you make them your closest friends, their attitude and their negativity is going to rub off on you. I think it's Proverbs 13 that says, uh, um, He who walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So that's talking about the people that we associate with. So that means our closest friends and associates can't be vain people and people that don't believe the word and, you know, if they don't have the revelation yet, I mean, you know, we just pray they'll get it. But, but um, we try to help them 
We try to minister to them, but we don't make them our closest friends because their negativity and their unbelief will begin to rub off on us and it will begin to pull us down. Now let's talk about uh, financial increase in abundance and what the Word says about it. Wealth and abundance are not dirty words. They're supply terms. Uh, let's look at Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Verse 3. Yeah, I was going to start at verse 1. 1 to 3, yeah. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. So that, that tells us people who are upright and godly and living for God and obeying God, God says those are going to be the blessed ones. Not the ones that don't believe Him and are not doing what His Word and are not seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Those people cannot expect to be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. Whose house? The one that fears the Lord and delights greatly in his commandments. And his righteousness endureth forever. Turn back uh, just a few pages to Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So this, again, those that are walking uprightly, those that are seeking God first and putting Him and His Word first place in their life. Not seeking money, not seeking things, but seeking the source of prosperity, which is God. These, He said, no good thing will He withhold from them. Uh, let's look in the New Testament at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 32. This is a good one. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. All things. Mm -hmm. Not some things. Not a few things, not just enough, all things. Let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6. <coughs> 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. In other words, that they be not high-minded, 
nor trust in the world system of prosperity, how the world gets their prosperity, but in the living God, who giveth us what? Richly all things to enjoy. According to the Bible, if you don't have enough, something is wrong. I mean, God's saying the norm is for us to be blessed. The norm is abundance, not lack, not insufficiency, not doing without. God wants you to obtain finances in a godly way. He wants you to remember where it came from, return the tithe from the increase He has provided, have your needs met in abundance, and an overflow to be a blessing to others. Now most Christians don't seem to have a problem with believers having wealth in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament age. Satan has worked very hard to cloud this issue. Jesus busted Satan's head and then he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Satan doesn't want us to preach the gospel all over the world. He wants you as a representative of God to be sick and broke. He wants the world to look at Christians and say, if that's what you get for following God, I don't want any part of it. Satan and the world are afraid of Christians with clout. That's why he doesn't want the world to look at Christians and desire anything that we have. Now take this for example, and I'm serious, I'm not just making this up. Take, let's, let's take this as a scenario. This is the fact here. In the UK, 2008, Banking bailouts cost the taxpayers 1.1 trillion pounds. That's what we paid to bail out the banks and keep them from going down. Now, what if, what if the body of Christ and this country had gone to the banks and said, Do you need some money? How much do you need? 1.1 trillion. No problem. We'll make a transfer over into your account. Now, who would have controlling stock of the Royal Bank of Scotland and Barclays Bank? We would instead of the government. We would be calling the shots we would be telling them who they would loan money to and who they would not be loaning money to. We would say, no problem. We'll give you the one point trillion. And by the way, here's a list of countries you will not be making loans to. And here's a list of terror organizations you will not be making loans to. Anything else you want, Reverend Witt? Ah, uh, yes, by the way, we want John 3.16 on the front of every Barclays Bank sign in this country. We want 
Now who sponsors the Premier League football? Barclays Bank. By the way, we want John 3.16 on the front of every Premier Football player's t-shirt in this country. Now that, that could happen. That's what would happen. That's what ought to be happening. That's what ought to be happening. Anything else, Reverend Witt? Yes. With immediate effect, the president of this bank is hereby made redundant. <laughs> and as of tomorrow, we will put a born-again, spirit-filled believer who operates in biblical financial principles making the decisions of this bank from now on. Now, the spiritual complexion in this country would begin to change within days. It would begin to change within days. What religion has not been able to do in 2,000 years, the body of Christ would be in a position to do immediately. And that's what God wants to happen. That's what I believe is going to happen. I mean, Brother Copeland is totally serious. I don't know if you've heard him make the statement. He is totally serious that the body of Christ could pay, could pay off the national debt in America. God could do it. I mean, you know, they say, oh, it would take so many years, you know, in the natural to do it. But God could do it. God could bless the body of Christ in America that that they could pay off the national debt in America. And then the Christians would be making the decisions and they'd be kicking out the Congress and all the people passing all these ungodly laws and cramming them down people's throats and mocking God and throwing him out of the government and throwing him out of, you know, this courthouse and you can't say this and you can't say that. All oh, that would come to an immediate stop. Amen. And I'm believing for that. Abundance has always been a sign of the blessing of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that when you are in right standing with God, it will lead to a life of want, suffering, and deprivation. Deuteronomy 8.18 but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power, ability to get wealth. Why? That he may establish his covenant upon the earth, which he swore to our fathers as it is this day. Who gives the ability to get wealth? God. That's just so plain. If abundance and wealth is not God's will for those who obey Him, why did He give us the power to get it? I mean, again, this you can see how the spirit, religious spirits and poverty spirits have blinded people to the Word of God. But God's plan is so wonderful. Amen. And if everybody did do it, how God says, and not considered about where their money was going to come after they've done it, and just realize that it's God that's going to provide. Amen. Because they're doing it His way. Amen. Look at the difference.
friendship would be. Yeah, yeah, we we would be. I mean, we could we could end poverty in this country quite quickly because we would get everybody born again for one thing, and we'd get them on the word of God, and mm-hmm. and and that's the only way to eradicate poverty, really. We'd we'd go to the source of it. This scripture also tells us that wealth is a necessary component to establishing God's covenant in the earth. Now it's easy to see why as long as the ungodly control the wealth of the world, establishing God's covenant in the earth remains unfulfilled. And that's why I was saying if we had controlling stock, if we could go pay pay off the national debt, if we could bail out the banks, we'd be controlling, we'd be calling the shots. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way God intended it from the beginning. And I believe God's, before we leave here, God's will is going to be done on this earth. Amen. And, and the wealth of the sinners laid up for the righteous. Psalm 35:27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. This says God takes pleasure in our prosperity. Does it give you pleasure to see your kids, grandkids, nieces, or nephews prospering and being successful in their endeavors? then why do some Christians believe that God gets pleasure from seeing His children be the tail and not the head? God's will for you is the good life now on earth with every spiritual and earthly blessing and the resources to fulfill what He has put on your heart to do. Let's turn to 3 John 2. We're all familiar with that. We're just about to come to the end of this session. 3 John 2 Beloved, I wish or that my center reference says that word should really be translated pray. I pray above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Now let's consider some several points about the man who made this statement, the Apostle John. Number one, the Apostle John was in the inner circle of Jesus. And he, from his point of view, as far as he was concerned, he was the closest to Jesus of all of them. Because, you know, in in St. John, several times he makes the reference to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. He was talking about himself. So as far as he was concerned, he, he felt like he was closer to Jesus than anybody else. This is the man that Jesus chose to look after his mother after he went to the cross. So he had to be pretty close to Jesus. Number three. 
When John wrote this book, he was not a Bible school student or just starting out in the ministry. He was aged in years and experience when he wrote this. He's an, he's an older man at this point in his life. They tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die. They tried to kill him and he wouldn't die and it scared the Roman emperor so bad. He said, get this man out of my sight and I do not ever want to see him again. And they shipped him to the Isle of Patmos and he wrote the book of Revelation. So this man was aged in years and experience. He was a spiritual elder in the church and he was not a novice. So this man must have known something about the will of God. Anything this man says must be taken seriously. And he says, I pray above all things that you prosper and be in health. He could have prayed a lot of other things. You know, I pray that you're not tempted. I pray, you know, that you won't be tempted by sin. I pray that you'll just be spiritual and you won't have anything and your testimony will be more believable. No, of all the things he could have prayed, this is what he prayed. The word prosper there in the Greek means to help on the road or to succeed in reaching. Now, that's something that should appeal to everyone and especially Christians. We should be in a position to help others on the road and succeed and life and succeed in whatever God calls us to do. That should be a godly desire, not something that's put down and taught down and made fun of. John said, I pray that you will succeed and be blessed in abundance in order to fulfill God's assignment for your life to be a good witness by helping others and demonstrating God's goodness and provision. We are Christ's ambassadors and representatives on the earth. If anybody on this earth should be blessed and be a blessing, it should be us Christians. It should be the body of Christ. Psalm 1, this is our last scripture we're going to look at in this session. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3. Poor is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Is that what it says? Poor is the man that's, that does not stand in the way of sinners. No, it doesn't say he'll be poor. It says he'll be blessed. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that stand, standeth not in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man that does not sit in the seat of the scornful. But 
is his delight is in the law or the word of the Lord and in his law and in his word doth he meditate day and night and my obedient children shall be like a withered up plant and their voice will not be heard and they'll be the tail because they did not have the money and material resources to expand my kingdom on the earth. Is that what it says? No. It says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He brings forth fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now that has to be the will of God. And we haven't just, I haven't just chosen one or two scriptures. For the sake of time, I've only chosen a few scriptures. Like I said, there are over 2,500 scriptures. There's no way we could cover all that in one day. I want to be able to go to a two, three, or four day prosperity seminar sometime. And I believe that's going to happen. But for time's sake, we don't have time to cover 2,500 scriptures right now. So I've just chosen some from the Old Testament and the New Testament. This says, the obedient shall prosper. Prosperity, spirit, mind, body, and finances are the reward for the obedient. Amen? Amen.